Hi, it's season three, episode five of the Tottenham Hotspur Family Podcast. My name's Jav. Joining me this week, back for the first time this season, John Rayworth from London. Hello. And making his long-awaited debut, Sam Moore, also from London. Hello. Hi, Sam. Right, before before we dive into talking about yesterday's match, um, Sam, it's first time on the podcast, um, although we did attempt to record a pod towards the end of last season, and the less said about that, the better. Um, let's just say it didn't make it on air. Um, and uh, through no fault of your own, I, I hasten to add, um, I... I I had a few issues that day, technical issues. Right, um, but given it's, it's your, your first time in the pod, very briefly, could you just tell us um, how you were bitten by this first bug? Yeah, so I guess it started around the time of the 1990 World Cup. Uh, as an eight-year-old child, my two uncles had both tried to force me to support QPR. I knew there must be a better way. Um, so during the 1990 World Cup, I was sort of um, entranced by Gaza and... Um, yeah, sort of it grew from there, really. I discovered that my dad was a Tottenham fan, and that swung it for me. Excellent. So, 1990 was also the turning point for, for me as well, that World Cup, um, and Gaza and Lineker, particularly. Right. Uh, so, we played Stoke yesterday, first game after the international break. Um, thank God for that, some proper football at last. Um, and, uh, and it was a carbon copy result. Um, from, from last season, full nil. And I should add that the, the last time John, last time we had you on the podcast, was the day after we beat Stoke City full nil. So you must be a lucky omen for the pod. Yeah, yeah. Get me on every time after <laughs> after Stoke. What did what did you lads make of the game? Um, start with you, Sam. Um, Stoke are, are quite an interesting team at the minute because. They're in sort of a period of transition for them, aren't they? Traditionally, teams would go to Stoke and they'd be a bit like the old Wimbledon, in that they'd launch the old long ball up and they'd have a battering round for centre-forward. But I think what's undoing them at the moment is the last couple of years, since Hughes has come in, they're trying to sort of actually play football. And if you like, this is what's undoing them because they're coming up against sides like Spurs, without meaning to sound sort of big-headed, but we're just better than them at playing with the ball on the floor. So I think this is what did them yesterday. Because having looked at the highlights, the first sort of five, ten minutes, it seemed to me Stoke was sort of pressing us and trying to force chances. And they had the wheeling shot, which uh, Davis headed over the bar. But other than that, there wasn't an awful lot there. And then it just seemed to me that once we exerted our pressure and our style onto the game, we sort of took over. And visibly, once the, uh, I think the second and third goals went in in quite quick succession, and obviously, by the time the third was in, they were they were gone, one truly. The fourth, really, was just the icing on the cake, wasn't it? Harry Kane breaking his duck. But, um, yeah, I thought it was slick. I thought it was the first time this season that our front four have turned up together, which is nice to see. Um, but, yeah, that was pretty much how I felt about the game, really. 
John, what was your take? Um, yeah, I actually missed the first 10 minutes. Um, I thought the rest of the first half, or the, probably the first half hour, was pretty poor. Same same old as uh, the last few games of this season. Um, getting the goal before half-time was a result. And the second half, it was a completely different story. Uh, it was like the, the good spurs of last season. It was great to see. <coughs> the um, the first first ten minutes, in fact, first half—I'd say probably first half an hour—we um, looked quite shaky. Um, just a few wayward passes, uh, particularly passing the ball out the back, and and they they had a few chances, and we were lucky not to concede one. Um, we, we weren't poor, but we we just yeah we just weren't weren't necessarily at the at the races. And I think for me the, the turning point was just around the time um, when he's got sent off. Just prior to that, we had a f- few good chances going forward, particularly um, Sun. I thought at that point Sun was our best player. And it's quite interesting that, um, so before the game, I was, at, I was at the game yesterday, and before the match, um, around about just after 2 o'clock, I'm in the Harvester in Stoke, and I'm at the bar, and the teams are announced, and there's a guy behind me, one or, one or two guys, and they, they're complaining as soon as they hear that the, that the team's announced. They're going on about Sun, and oh, why has he picked Sun, and this, that, and the other, and I wouldn't have picked Sun. And I thought that, aside from his two goals, I thought certainly early on he was our best player, and he, was, he, he looked threatening going forward, take the ball forward, he was holding the ball up well. Um, there were times during the match where um, some of his passing in, in the final third was a little bit disappointing, but I thought he had a, one of his better games for us overall. Um, but yeah, at the point at which he's got sent off, I think that just gave us that little extra lift. Um, the crowd got behind the players, and and really after that, there was only one team that looked like that were going to win it. And yeah, funny enough, on the stream I was watching, the commentators were saying that um, when Stoke have um, like when they're up against it, that's when their fans really get behind them. And actually, the opposite happened. Uh, our fans got behind us, and they sort of they went a bit quiet. Um, yeah, and uh, second half, I mean, completely different story. Obviously, we, we, we got that goal going in. Um, in, in, in half time, but second half, um, we just pushing forward so much more. And, and Toby, I thought, coming bringing the ball forward just looked immense. Just you know, just pressing them in, into their own half, and just we just dominated. Ericsson was, I think, probably man of the match. He looked, he looked really good. Um, yeah, Lam- Lamella when he came on. Yeah, I've been very critical of um, Ericsson, and I've got a bit of flack on the website, on the Facebook page for it. Um, you know, I don't expect every player to be 100% every game, but I do think um, for a lot of last season, and um, certainly this season so far, he's really been absent. Hmm. Um, and it was great to see him suddenly, you know, whether it's because he's got his new contract now, um, seems odd that I'm not suggesting he would intentionally play shit, but um, why, you know, why, why, why is there suddenly such a, a change in his performances just because he's signed a new contract? I don't really get that. But 
I know that's an argument that a lot of people will use, you know, playing on his mind. Um, but whatever, who cares? Um, as long as he's able to carry on putting in good performances, I'm more than happy. Yeah, I'd have to agree in that that was clearly the best that Ericsson's played for us in a long, long time. I think, I thought to myself whilst watching it, it was probably his best game since Man City away, I can remember. Um, whether it's to do with him scoring for Denmark in the week or the contract finally being sorted out, who knows? It could have been a host of things, but long may it continue. I also thought that when Lamella came on, considering he played for Argentina in the week, that he did really well. Yeah. Particularly in the lead up for the third goal, I think it was, when Son had the ball on the edge of our box from a stoke corner, then Ericsson switched it out to Lamella. Lamella played it into Walker, and then Walker crossed it in for Ali. Um forget which goal that was now. Um I think it was the third, <laughs> third one. Third one, yeah. Yeah. Um I thought that was just, you know, brilliant play all round. But as well as being a really slick counter attacking goal, I sort of noticed how well Lamella did. Just it's so easy to mess up a simple pass out to the right just from you know overhitting it underhitting it particularly if you're tired so yeah you know good to see that finally the four players are starting to gel a bit my only concern at this point would be and I know it's quite premature but I would just like to see Janssen get a goal not necessarily yesterday because I don't want to use up all our goals at once but yeah. I think the final piece of the attacking jigsaw will be him breaking his duck and then we'll look quite good I don't think I, that occurred to me yesterday as well. Up, up until now, I haven't been too concerned by it because, you know, to be fair, how many minutes has he had on the pitch um, so far? Most of his appearances have come off, um, have been as a substitute. The only game I think he started was, was Palace. But yesterday when he came on, you, I just got the impression that he was just trying that bit too hard. Um, I'm not saying he, he was... He was necessarily doing that but that's the impression that I got and it, and it was it was shades of Soldado about it or shades of well, shades of any striker yeah. that's that's trying to break his duck and I, it, it, with any striker that that that's that goes through a spell and, and and they need to get their first goal normally it just happens and then once it happens they just go on from there um, the moment they start to appear as though they're thinking about it or it's playing on their minds then it, it can sort of weigh them down um, and it can stifle them. But hopefully it will happen sooner rather than later. I, I suspect he will... Um, I can see him featuring in Europe quite a lot um, and I think he'll, it will happen sooner rather than later. Um, he's a... Uh, and you've also got to bear in mind it's going to take time for him to adjust to English football. Not every player that comes from overseas um, can fit in straight away. Some do, others it takes them... That takes them longer. I mean, dare I say, it, another Dutchman, um, twenty odd years ago, um, uh, Dennis Burkamp. It took him a while to adjust to, to English football, and I remember the amount of stick he used to get from Woolwich fans. Um, and it wasn't until I think October of his first season, when he scored a couple against Southampton. I think they won four um, two at Highbury. Um, so uh, you know, we've got to be patient with him, but it, it'll happen. Um, Ali, by the way, off of the, the, the sort of attacking players, Ali also did really well. Um, and, and as you say, Sam, it was good to see all of them playing well together. Yeah, I think that was the thing about the formation is that, you know, with the traditional one up top in Harry Kane, it's good to see his game is sort of reliant on those players around him 
being fluid and being attacking with him because as we all know bless him he's not um, he's not blessed with natural pace but where Harry's game takes on its own is you know he's a little bit like sharing him in that he'll drop a little bit deeper he'll think things through and he's quite an intelligent footballer in that regard but in order for him to be at his best which is why I think he suffers with England he needs players who know his game inside out you know um, so when you've got the likes of Ericsson the likes of Ali who are coming on Ali you saw it with England as soon as Ali came on for England Kane started getting chances because Ali's quicker into the um, final third and he knows where the runs that Kane's going to make yeah exactly um, they're, 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 they're a good partnership aren't they yeah, they really are. What I also liked to see yesterday was that even at 3 and 4 nil up, you had players like Son running for the ball to stop it from going out of play. You could tell they still had that hunger and determination. You know, it's a bit of a cliche, but when I used to play Sunday League football many years ago, whichever team scored the first goal, you'd always hear, still nil nil at the kickoff, you know, everyone goes back. And that's kind of what it reminded me of. They still had that hunger to fight for every ball. Um, and Son did that for the for Harry Kane's goal. You know, the ball got whipped across the edge of the box. It missed everyone. Son chased it and put it back in. And then Harry was there at the back stick to put it away. Um, on another note, talking about breaking ducks, you know, Harry Kane's off the mark now. So, although you know his class, for me, it's always a little sigh of relief once that first one goes in because you know that it's a monkey off his back, if you like, and then he can sort of just play his natural game without the media saying as they will in every game oh it's been this many goals this many games since Kane scored a goal you just think give the bloke a break he's been playing football for two and a half years virtually non-stop absolutely and if anybody knows anything about anything they'll know that Harry's season doesn't start till September October dare I say November Um, and then the goals just just come in Um, yeah well it's getting earlier and earlier isn't it so hopefully next season it will start in August absolutely yeah fingers crossed um so obviously we'll do as ever we'll do with you questions in the second half of the podcast but we've got a few which I'm going to do now that centre around yesterday's game in fact we've got a whole load of questions on, on Wanyama and Dyer um, I'm just going to read out all three or four questions um, John Steggles asks have we suffered with Wanyama and Dyer as a pair in midfield not a surprise we improved when he got removed um, Ed Brad says will removing one of the defensive midfielders Dembele on Wednesday improve the team. Actually, we, we, we can address that later on um, and when we look look to Wednesday's game. Uh, Bex, our own Bex says, Dyron Wanyama doesn't work in my opinion. Do they just need time or will the return of Dembele mean they won't last together anyway? And Paul Esau says, is Victor all that after today's before, yesterday's performance? I think yeah, bit- I, I think... Sorry, I just, I, just, I think, um, I think we've been a little bit harsh on um, on Victor, and also we've also got to appreciate the cards that Mauricio has been dealt with. Dembele isn't available, so you pick Dyer and one other, and who who else do you pick? Yeah, I don't think Wanyama's going to be a first team regular. To be honest, uh, when everyone else is fit, he's a good backup, mm-hmm. very good backup, but I don't think he's going to be first on the team sheet. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, what The way I tend to look at it is I see Wanyama as an upgrade on what we had before. So would you rather have Mason sitting in there alongside Dyer? Would you rather have Bentaleb sitting in there alongside Dyer? And the answer for me is no, I'd rather have Wanyama in there. Ideally, you want Dembele there because he offers a bit of everything. Mm. He's slightly different yeah. to Dyer in that Dyer is more of a defensive midfielder per se. 
Whereas, as we know, Moose is good at holding the ball up, but what you get from Moose is you get the unexpected. So, I forget who it was in the Europa League. It may have been... Oh, it was a French team. It may have been Monaco or someone away. Leon, sorry, Leon. And he'll drive forward into the space, and then suddenly he's got a pile driver of a shot when he gets it off. And, you know, that's something you're not necessarily going to get from Wanyama. And I think, actually, that Dyer's got that in his locker occasionally, but his game is more sort of sitting back and protecting the back four. But as you say, you deal with the, the cards you're dealt, and at the moment, I wouldn't be too harsh on Wanyama, but I think he is an upgrade on what we had before. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, Having said that, one thing that's just come to mind is that he was very lucky not to get sent off yesterday. Yeah. I when Embula when when nutmegged him and then went past on the halfway line, how he didn't get a second yellow for that blatant body check, well... Only the referee will know the answer to that, I'm sure. Yeah, I think that was the reason he was taken off, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, just the risk of him getting another one. Yeah, absolutely. And did it, I mean, I think we were already 1-0 ahead when he got taken off, but um, was it a changing... Um, well, who, who came on for him? It was, it was Lamellas, I suppose it was. Um, but it certainly changed the, 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 the dynamics of our play. Because um, we didn't have two of the same if you like so um, uh, yeah it did it was a turning point um, and also I guess I guess off the two Dyer is probably the one that, that for me that, that, that would start I know earlier in the season I can't remember who it was it might have been Everton where um, we were we were chasing the game and he brought on Janssen and the, the player that was taken off much to my surprise at the time wasn't Wanyama but it was it was Dyer um, but there could have been all sorts of reasons. I mean, Dyer obviously had a long summer playing in playing in the Euro. So, um, but I think yeah, I, I, I think most people would would agree that that if you had to pick one of the two, Dyer's the one that that would start. And, and Wanyama's a good, um, as you say, guys, a good um, good backup. Um, Just another... one minor point I wanted to make on that. Sorry, you're saying about Dyer being substituted. One thing I noticed as well is that. Poch gave Ali a rest. I think it was a Liverpool game um, where he started on the bench, I think. Yeah. And then he came on after a little while. Mm-hmm. At the time, people were questioning it. And I know that Liverpool were infinitely better than us on that day. But I think the way that Pochettino tends to think is um, short-term pain for long-term gain. And I think what he's done there has actually worked to Delhi's advantage. Having seen the way he played yesterday, because he looks that little bit fresher, that bit sharper. Um, he looked to be over what had been hindering him previously, so hopefully that's a sign of things to come. Mauricio, like any good manager, is always looking at the bigger picture. Um, and if you, both of you will probably recall this, but years and years and years ago, I remember um, Alex Ferguson um, when a young Ryan Giggs emerged into the, t- in, in, into the United team. I think in, in his first season, and this is this isn't this isn't in, in back in the days when things like rotation were unheard of words like rotation um that, that we sort of see bands about and and now in, in in football and i and it was around the christmas period and ferguson said we're going to rest ryan Giggs, and it's important to rest a young player and and i think that's what that's what um pochettino's doing with with deli ali who's still a young yeah, young man and and to some degree even Players that are slightly older, Dyer, Ericsson, um, because a lot of them have played a lot of com- competitive football, played football in the summer, and and you know you've got to look at the, look, look, look at the 
um, the bigger picture, as you say, um, Sam, not it's, it's about the, the, not the short term sort of gain, but look, looking beyond that. Um, that that's very true. Um, another question from Ed Bradley said on a tactical question with the improved performance of Ericsson once he moves to a more central role against Stoke is it time for Dem for, De- for Delhi and Dem Delhi I suppose we should call him and Dembele to compete for the role alongside Dyer and leave a motivated Ericsson in his preferred best position that's an interesting question I like I like Delhi Ali playing deeper and breaking from deep and I think he can do that very well. I, I've, I think he's equally capable of playing further forward. But I've, I've got no no issues about playing him further back. I don't think Poch tends to look at it in terms of a set position. You must stay here. I think his whole philosophy, attacking-wise, is built upon the front four being fluid and interchanging. So yeah, I, I think. I, sorry, I, I think also he's he's got a sort of checklist of players when he gets them that they've got to be able to play at least two positions, isn't it? Yeah. So that sort of goes along with the being able to interchange in the front four as well. So I think regardless of where Ericsson potentially starts, if he starts out on the left, I think Poch would say to him, "Look, we're starting you out here on the left to maybe test out the right back or whatever it might be. See if we can expose a chink down that side." They might say, if you're getting no joy there, then switch and come inside into central position and do what you do. The player like Ericsson, he's intelligent enough to know without those necessarily getting those instructions that if he's getting joy down that wing, he doesn't need to come inside because that's where he's doing his, his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I could see the point that, that I think it was Ed yeah. was getting at in that when he was central, he did create a lot of problems for Stoke. But again, I've said that there were also times when he was out on the edge of the right uh, hand side of the box and was putting crosses in and things like that. Because in essence, that's what it's, the system is about. It's about being fluid and moving. So I don't necessarily think that you have to say, right, well, we've got to drop this guy and we've got to have this guy fighting for that. At the end of the day, the best players will get in that team one way or another. Absolutely. I think that very early on, I remember it in Poch's reign when you had Ericsson and. Yes, I suppose it was Chadley then, and maybe Townsend, or possibly Lennon, or Lamella, um, and those three three positions. And there was a lot of talk back then. People say, oh, Ericsson shouldn't be on the left. He should come at play, playing in, in the centre." And you know, some were saying, "Well, no, if he plays on the left, he can cut in and this that, and the other." Um, but it's always been Poch's system and that system. It's always been about players in, interchanging. And maybe back in the early days, um, we weren't. Well, we were trying to do that and players weren't able to adjust to the system but you can see whether that be um, the match yesterday or, or certain other games last season when, when we thumped teams and we've played really well um, on all those occasions when we play really well it's when all those players are interchanging and you know, like you said yesterday um, there was one point when I think for the first goal um, he was on the right hand side Ericsson and he pulled it back for, um, for Sun um, so it, it's definitely about fluid system um, okay moving on from Stoke just going back a, f- a week and a bit um, the transfer window closed end of August just briefly gents thoughts on thoughts on our the business that we did if I come to you first John um, yeah overall pretty happy um, you're going to have people saying that um, 
Um, Sissoko isn't worth 30 million. Um, and I, I suppose I would agree, agree with that, but um, that's what inflated values are now um, due to all the sky money coming in. Um, you're going to get uh, sort of average Premier League players, if you like, um, being valued at that much. And if that was the only business we did, um, then I would have been disappointed. But, you know, we, we've, we've got a lot of bargains as well. And, you know, probably better players for half his money. So I think you've got to look at the whole net spend, not how much we spent on one particular player. Um, so financially, um, I'm happy with the business we did. Um, and I think we definitely strengthened... Um, with the players we, that we brought in. So I'm happy with it. Sam, before, before I come to you, um, we had a question from another one from Paul Esau. He said, if all the players, including the new signings, were fully match fit, would any of the new signings make the first 11, not the bench, but the first 11? Well, that's the odd thing, in that we've bought Sissoko for £30 million, which equals the amount we paid for uh, Lamella. But Sissoko is not a guaranteed star, uh, starter. So, no, is the short-term answer. I can't see any of them. Okay. Can you see Janssen getting in ahead of Kane? No. But, OK, then in, in, in light of that, then do you think it was a good good window after all? I think it was solid, to use a um, not particularly pro or um, against answer, in that... A, I'm a believer that it takes time to tell for signings, which is a classic case with Lamella. Everyone was saying, oh, he's going to be this, he's going to be that, and then people were getting annoyed after one season that he hadn't done this and that, forgetting that actually he'd been injured for most of that first season. And then when he had his first full season, he came on. I think only really now we're starting to see what Lamella's capable of, and I think that he's capable of a lot more, actually. I think we're just starting to see the fruits of um, of his labour. I know there are one or two in the group that have been banging the Lamella drum for a while now because they've always sort of appreciated what he can bring to the team. But I think to the neutral observer, even they're starting to see, oh, Lamella, OK, yeah, he's actually bringing something to the Spurs team now. Um, so who knows? You know, it's a qu- it's up to Suzoko to force his way in, isn't it? As the... But I thought yesterday when he came on, having said that, he had that chance, he hit it, it got deflected, given the world to tip it over... I also noticed that he's a Pochettino signing because not just getting forward, he was then tracking all the way back down the other end to try and block Arnautovic's shot. Um, So whether he breaks into that team, only time will tell. But I'm relatively happy. Um, So the short answer is, I don't know. There was a lot of of meltdown on social media at, at the time from a lot of our fans saying, you know, just... Prior to the Sokoso deal happening on the, on the day, and also obviously the Nkundu one had been quite protracted, so it hadn't at that point signed. Um, and there was a, the goalkeeper we brought in, was it Lopez? Um, <clears throat> and um, yeah, there was lots of crap. A lot of our fans just, you know, being quite despondent and whatnot. And then afterwards, I was talking to a few neutrals, and they were saying, yeah, but you haven't really strengthened, everybody else has pushed on. Now, I'm of the view that, like you said earlier, we, we've got rid of um, certain players, Ryan Mason, for instance, um, who I'm glad that we've moved on, um, and we've, we've, we've brought better, better players in. We've got that strength and depth. Um, if you know The point in which we got Dembele back 
assuming Dembele starts, that'll mean that, for example, Wanyama might drop on drop to the bench, and then you potentially have a bench with say Wanyama on there and Janssen and and Kundu and Sukusu and not to mention some of the, the other young players that, that again a lot of the fans seem to be writing the likes of Onoma off and just saying that they're not ready. Um, you've got strength and depth. We've got quality squad. If you if you however go and say that none of the players that we brought in um, are better than our say our strongest starting eleven. Um, my answer to that is, firstly, well, may, maybe maybe we didn't actually need to improve our starting eleven. Probably Mauricio's looking at that, and he's looking at Toby, and he's looking at Jan, and he's looking at Larice and Kane, and various others, and then Musa, and Deli Ali, and Lamella. And why would he want to die? Why would he want to get players of a better? Qu- you know, he's probably quite ha- happy with that. And also, the ones that we have bought in, as you say, Sam, it might be that that later on they'll push on. And there'll come a point where Sokoso, for example, gets to a level where he's actually he is competing with, say, Ericsson, for example. And you know, and at that point, yeah, those squad players, if you like, are, are good enough to um, dislodge some of the some of the starting eleven. So I, I don't buy into the narrative, whether that's from some of our own fans or from neutrals that. We haven't done well. I think it's been a good window, and I think it will bear fruit later on this season. Um, right, Monaco. So we've got, we've got Monaco on Wednesday, and then we've got Sunderland um, week today. Um, I'll get your predictions for Sunderland in a minute, but the big one's Monaco now. Sam, I know you're going to the game. Um, yes. Be that. Um, John, you Wembley bound? I yeah, you're I'll looking be there. At, you'll be there. Excellent. Right, and we're all going to be a small part of history on on Wednesday because um, as as has been reported certainly um, Tottenham fans will, will know this and listen to the, of the podcast but maybe it hasn't been reported sadly widely enough by our beloved media in this country um, we will be breaking our own attendance record um, 80 odd thousand Spurs fans and in fact it will be the second biggest attendance in the whole of Europe outside of um, the new camp um, this Wednesday so we will play our part in history um, it's, it's all very exciting um, what are your thoughts can we can we start off with a win and three points for sure uh, we can and I don't want to be a pessimist but I've been doing a bit of checking up on Monaco and they just um, spanked Lille 4-1 away from home and they're top of the league so not to be taken lightly um, I think they beat PSG a couple of weeks ago, albeit that PSG are probably not the force they once were. And that's not down to the fact they've let David Luiz go. Mm. Let's put it like that. But um, yeah, I don't think they have to be taken lightly, but I think we've definitely got the tools to do the job. Um, but this is where the squad will come into it. Will we see Dembele come back? Will he go straight into that side? If he does go straight in, will he be fresh or a little ring rusty, having not played for a while? So there's a few tactical headaches for Poch to iron out, but yeah, I certainly think we can win. Yeah, I did hear that Dembele was extremely rusty in the Belgian game. Okay. So um, you know, every, everyone seems to be assuming that he's going to walk straight back into the team and he's going to be amazing. I'm a bit concerned that it could take him a month or so just to get back into it. Really. We had a <clears throat> we had a question. Um, 
which might not be on the on the running order that you're looking at because it was submitted late later today. But um, Richard Healy on Facebook said, is, "Is anyone worried that, that the Tottenham fan base have spent so long loving Dembele that it's set up for disappointment on his return? Remember, he has been at Spurs since 2012, four years before he had a decent quote decent season." Now. Two yeah, things. this is pretty much exactly my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So two things on that. I, I think that we all knew that Musa was a good, good, good player, and I think finally we saw last season the very best of him, and on, on a consistent basis. So I, I don't, I'm not worried the fact that he had three years prior to that where he was indifferent or, or out of sorts. There are lots of reasons for that. Um, if Dembele's in good shape and last season he was looking lean and in good shape then I'm not worried the only thing that concerns me is um, with any player when he's out for a while some last season when he got injured our fans straight away are lamenting the loss of that player and they're all like oh we need Son back in the team because he's, we're missing his pace or we need so and so a few years ago it was Danny Rose when we and, and we had Danny Rose got injured um, in AVB's last season and um uh, we didn't have a proper left back, and fair enough, we, we, we were missing. We were definitely missing um, Rose. I think at the time, um, Carl Norton, who wasn't a left back, was was, was playing in his place, um, and you know there was that expectation that everything would be fixed as soon as Rose came back. Rose came back in the team. By this point, Sherwood was manager. He came back from an injury, and as I've said it before, sometimes players take a while to, to um, get back from an injury, and whether it was that or whether it was a combination of um, that dickhead being in charge to Sherwood, um, he didn't play well and I remember fans getting on his back um, and I just hope that we're realistic about Dembele. If he does start on Wednesday or even if it's next Saturday, don't assume for a minute that he's just going to pick up from where he left off last season. He's missed a lot of playing time. I mean, did he feature in the... I know he was in the squad, but I'm not sure he played many games or any um, at the... I don't think he started any matches at the Euros. Um, no, he didn't. I was keeping an eye out for him. Yeah, I, th- I think um, the friendly the other day was his first appearance. So yeah, I, d- I don't know. I, I I think you're right, John. I think that there's there is patience great... is needed. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. Which sometimes with our fans can be. Uh, patience and virtue that, that doesn't appear to be present amongst some of our fans. Um, if I was a gambling man, which I'm not, I would have my money on Poch putting uh, Dembele on the bench on Monaco and then starting him against Sunderland. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I, I don't think he'll start on Wednesday. So, will Wanyama and Dyer? I suppose it would probably have to be just because although they're not necessarily a perfect fit they should be starting to get to know each other's game a little more by now you'd hope yeah I think it would be a bit of a risk high risk strategy if you brought somebody else in like Winks for example who I'd not that's not a reflection on Winks um, and I hope hope we see more of him this season but just as you say Sam those two when the armor and die have played a fair bit together now so um, it would be Silly to introduce anybody else in the, in the party, but yeah, I can I can see, I can see Musa coming on later on in the match and then starting against um, Sunderland. Very, very Pochettino esque to slowly bring back players in rather than just throwing them in in, in, in at the deep end. Um, 
Final thing on Wednesday, John Stegall says, after that result, yesterday's result, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you expect Wembley to be rocking on Wednesday? Now, this is a contentious one for me because I'm a bit concerned. Um, I think I, I mentioned this on the Facebook page. Um, you know, at White Hart Lane, you've got the Park Lane and uh, the Shelf, then then you've got the West End and the, and the Paxton. And all the Park Lane are going to be split up around the stadium, you know. Um, I like to go in the park lane, but I'm going to be in block 525 or something, you know, up in the gods. And there's, I don't know, there's an awful lot of people who just sit there in silence at games. And I'm just a bit concerned that um, they could outweigh the people who like to have a sing-song. So it'll be interesting to see, but um, I'm a little bit concerned. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that down the years, Wembley as a ground has had its own atmospheric issues. I know whenever I've been there previously for England games, it's not been great. But again, that might be more down to the, the uh, more diverse clientele, should we say. But um, who knows? I mean, as always, there's bound to be people singing before the game in the pubs. But whether that translates into the stadium, then, you know, we can only hope so. I, should, I, I hope we will do, but... Um, I'll certainly be excited and looking forward to it and seeing my heart out. Just hope I'm surrounded by people who want to do likewise, as John says. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that Wembley suffers from in the past is, um, apart from England matches, um, if club sides are playing there, they've always got an, a, um, a certain allocation and then you know, for, a, for a cup final. But both teams have got similar sort of allocation and then you've got some number of tickets that, that go to neutrals and then your corporates and whatnot but this is this is an occasion where we will have the bulk I think 80,000 of, of, of the 90,000 capacity will, will be full of Tottenham fans and um, I think it I think it'll be rocking the only thing that concerns me is acoustically Wembley um, I don't think the way the stadium's designed will help the way um, help with sort of sound um, travelling around the stadium um, and I think you get probably situations where some groups of fans will, will start a song and then others will start a song, another song and it won't necessarily be in, in unison but we shall see. I'm quietly confident that it will be a very special occasion. Um, right, um, Sunderland next Sunday, very quickly predictions on that. Yeah, they're struggling a bit, aren't they, at the moment? I know that the uh, Moyes was a divisive character at Everton in that a lot of Evertonians wanted him gone after a while. Because particularly at the beginning of his career, he was very up and down. One good season, one bad season. They've started slowly. They've got Defoe, who's bound to score against us, but I'm quietly confident that we'll do a job on them. 3 or 4-1, I'd say. I'm going 3-0. I'm going 3-0 as well, funny enough. Um, I think Defoe will, will come very close, but uh, he'll be offside. Has he? Yeah. I certainly recall him scoring when he was at Pompey against us. I don't know that he scored against us um, for Sunderland. I think he's gone close. Um, it's always strange seeing, seeing Jermaine Defoe playing against us. Um, 
he generally has a, a very bad record against top four teams. So hopefully that'll that'll play into our hands. Okay, right. Um, second half of the podcast, we shall do some more questions. Um, before that, um, Spurs ladies play today against against Crystal Palace. Um, here's Bex with this week's update on Spurs ladies. Hi, it's Bex. Just letting you know what the Spurs girls have been up to this week. So last week, uh, in defence of their Premier Women's League Cup, they beat West Ham ladies away with a whopping 10-0. I'd sit and list all the scorers, but seriously, man, we'd be here all day if I had to do that. Great start to defending the cup that they won last season. Today, which is Sunday, they've just finished playing against Crystal Palace at Palace with a very narrow 1-0 win. Bianca Baptiste scored in the eighth minute, and then fortunately, Tony Ann Wayne, the keeper, saved a penalty on 42 minutes. Apart from that, the second half was really hard fought, but we didn't give in. It's nice to get for the girls to get another win, and shows off another good start to their season. I can't give you an update because the league table doesn't hasn't updated just yet. The girls' next league match is on Wednesday, the 14th of September, at 1945, against QPR, and that's Oxbridge FC. So if you're in the area, go watch. If anyone has any questions, I'm on Twitter at BunchesBex. Cheers. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hi, welcome back to the second half of the Tom Oxford Family Podcast. Thank you, Bex. Right, um, let's finish let's finish off with a few more questions. Um, Nick Seal asks, what what do we do with our useless jacks now? And I presume that's a reference to um, Jack Wellshit, who's ended up at Portsmouth, uh, Portsmouth at, Bour- at Bournemouth even. Luckily, that's not our problem, is it? Nope, it certainly isn't. Maybe that was a question for the Arsenal podcast, and he got. <laughs> Did anybody see um, match of the day and um, and his dear poor face sitting on the bench, and just looked despondent? And then when he came on, I don't. Quite apart from the fact that he plays for Woolwich, I don't actually see what the fuss about. Wiltshire is. I don't think he's a good player. Am I the only one that just doesn't rate him as a footballer? I think when he's been on his his top form, he can be a very good player, but that happens so rarely due to all his injuries that you're never going to see the best out of him. I think he does have the potential to be an England regular, um, but luckily he's got legs made of crisp packets. I'm pretty sure that his um, career testing out hospital beds has been interrupted by football. <laughs> he would make a good, um, a good, uh, a good extra on Casualty, I think. <laughs> or Holby or City, a... take your pick. Or a lead character. <laughs> a lead character, yeah. Um, Mark Stoll, Premier League refereeing so far this season. Am I the only one frustrated by too many stoppages? Soft yellow cards. Yeah. Um, yesterday, I don't know who the referee was, but he was shit. Um, uh, Anthony Taylor, I think. Was yeah, I thought, yeah, I wasn't impressed with him. Um, I wasn't impressed with whoever took charge of the Liverpool match and and, and Everton and and Palace um, the Palace one was was just awful not just not just the de- decision making but just the amount of stoppages it's becoming a bit of a joke really and, I, and I've, I've got time for I'm not one of these people that flagged off referees I think they do an important job blah 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 and it's a difficult enough job but really 
Um, I think this is the, the level of um, refereeing this season has been pretty piss poor. I think the problem with refereeing is that it's always open to interpretation and by human nature they're going to interpret it differently. So because of that it's always been difficult to sort of ascertain any level of consistency, isn't it? Because what one referee sees as a penalty, another referee is not going to see as a penalty. So I don't know how we improve it, but I think we've just got to accept it for what it is, human error. Yeah, I think I, I had a bit of a rant about referees on my last pod appearance. Um, and like Sam says, it's it's about consistency. Um, and I, th- I think they're doing okay with bringing in the shirt-pulling thing this season, whether, you know, whether that carries on and there is consistency where every ref does give a penalty for when the shirt's pulled is to be seen. I, I doubt it, but um, that's it. Things shouldn't be open to an interpretation. If uh, if it's if an infringement is seen, then it should be given according to the rules. But referees, in my opinion, have too much. Um, their opinion accounts for too much and it shouldn't be opinion based it should be fact based like a, a player possibly yesterday um, our player uh, Wanyama possibly should have gone but maybe the ref thought or oh, don't want to send the player off because that will upset the game um, and even though it was one of our players maybe that he should have gone You know, if you want consistency you've got to send a player off through second yellow even if it does disrupt the game and change the outcome because the ref is changing the outcome by not making by not penalising a player who has broken the rules. Okay, uh, next question, Ali Hassan. Could we really do it this time? We seem to have started winning earlier. Players are in place, contracts signed, and Kane off the mark before November. Could we really do it this time? Um, I've. I said at the start of the pod, I've said it in subsequent pods, I'm going to say it again today, I'm going to keep saying it this season, we're going to fucking win the league, okay? And I'll keep saying that until um, the men in white coats um, come and take me away. That's, that's my, my bit. That's very bold. Um, my opinion, uh, I think I got my fingers burnt last year. Um, I genuinely believed that we were going to win the league um, so I'm just a bit more nervous this year I'm going to keep my mouth shut for a while um, if you know, if, if we like say come February, March if we're up in the top two or three with, with a good shout then I might start believing again but um, <clears throat> last season hurt so uh, I'm still a bit funny about it how, how nervous are you touching cloth? Not right now, <laughs> <laughs> but I may well do in February. I mean, we could do it. Yeah, of course we could. I think last season sort of showed that we could do it, but will we do it? And that's the, that's the other question, isn't it? And who knows? But I say I'm cautiously optimistic. Let's just say that. Mm. You know, and look, we've all been supporting Spurs for quite a number of years um, can we hands on heart apart from last season and now again this season could, can we how many times can we have said that we're in contention um, when it comes to winning the, the, the title um, the fact that 
even if nobody else in the media is talking talking about it and they're just they're just talking about us struggling to finish fourth because everybody's so much better um you know a lot of Tottenham fans I think even even if we are cautiously optimistic even if we think oh you know we don't want to do it most fans probably think we're going to be there or thereabouts we're going to be in the mix again um and we you know we we, a, a decade ago we wouldn't have thought that 15 years ago whatever it was we would look at the table and we're trying to work out whether six or seven or eight would be enough to qualify in the Europa how times have changed yeah yeah I certainly think um, finishing outside the top four would be a disappointment this season Mm -hmm. yeah even with um, the other clubs regrouping you know last season was a just a bizarre phenomenon which is never going to happen again I don't think Um, but now you've got Man City Man United Chelsea back in it um, so it's going to be a lot tougher, but I, I certainly think we're top four material. But also, we're in the mix. This is the thing. Yes, everybody says that you know United are going to be resurgent this season, and, and, and Chelsea and, and City and all of that, and, and, and Liverpool were quietly going about doing their thing under Klopp. But we're in the mix. Some of those teams, they're not going to have an easy run. So, if, for example, if City win the league, just for the sake of argument, it's not going to be as, as easy for them as it has been in previous seasons, or for Chelsea or, or whoever, because there's Tottenham Hotspur, and a few years ago we wouldn't be even considered in the mix. Yeah, we might get the odd point here or there, take the odd point off of some of the top four teams, but you know, people now play us, and they think shit. This is this is this is a Mauricio Pochettino Tottenham team. This is a team with Dyer and Dembele and Kane and Lamella and Eriksen and Alderweireld and Vertonghen and and you know we've got some real fucking steel as well as some real quality. Talking about. of real steel, we've got Carl Walker. We'd have, um, which moves us on to two questions. Lovely segue there um, from Zach <laughs> Kislola, um uh, and Carol Hayward. Um, so Zach says, I'll start off with Zach's question first. Zach says, Carl Walker continues to be excellent both for Spurs and England. May, may I remind the honourable gentleman of his disparaging comments in this very pod 18 months ago, that's in reference to me, and ask if he now agrees Walker is the best right back in the country and Jav would like to grow a womb and have his babies. Um <laughs> <laughs> not before Toby impregnates me um, who I've got to say before, before talk about uh, Walker so there was a scene there was a bit yesterday in the game and I don't think I guess either of you guys didn't see it because I, I, anybody I've spoken to that watched the match online on a stream didn't see this but I think it was after the third goal that we scored and the players came over to celebrate with, with the fans and Toby he, he gave it a fit he looked at the fans and there was there was passion in his in his face and his expression and he sort of gave a fist bump and then he put his hand on his chest on his heart and he just hit his his chest and he just it's difficult to describe but it was have you actually found that clip yet or not? I haven't no and my heart melted when I saw it it was just beautiful it was just uh, oh he's 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 something else right um Walker um is he the best right back in the country yeah He's well. He's uh, he's certainly the best English right back. Um, well, who in the Premier League is better than him? That right back. I'd like to say at this juncture, I think Carl Walker has been playing exceptionally well for about a year now. 
Mm. And yesterday, I thought he was absolutely superb. Evidenced him when he led that breakaway for the third goal. And he's right up there. He's defending, which people have questioned at times, I think has got better. He blocked an arm out of its shot when um, some of the... Um, so the locals were wrongfully claiming handball and it quite clearly hit him in the face. Um, just going to show the average level of intellect up there, I suppose. Mm. But um, no, he's superb. As John says, who can you think of that's better? I would say he's definitely the best right back in the country at the moment. Yeah. Right. Certainly the best English. And I think he's so brave as well. You know, he just puts his body on the line. Um, he, I've, I've developed a bit of a crush on him, actually. Oh, God, not another man crush. <laughs> Sam, no, just, it's just the three of us. No, nobody else is listening. Who's your Tottenham man crush? We've all got one. Two, more, maybe. I don't know. Probably Mopo, I suppose. Mauricio Pochettino. Yeah, yeah you can't go wrong with Mopo. Definitely. I think he stole yeah. my heart when, um, I think forget which away game, maybe Norwich away last season when we swept the floor with them. And then at the end... Um, the crowd was singing them yeah. Pochettino's magic chant and he came yeah. over and applauded the fans and everyone just went nuts I think from that moment on he's had my he's had my man crush heart that was that game last season that that one was I think, I think that was that was the first time certainly I can recall him coming coming over to the fans he's admitted to I don't always normally at kick off I'll, I'll tend to because you know, you've got trains or whatnot to catch but I remember that that time being there at the end and he came over and yeah it, um Celebrate with the fans, City of course as well last season, and then again yesterday, and, and we were singing his name. Um, uh, also, another question on Carl Walker. So Carol Hayward says, um, Carl has been my favourite player for a good few few years now. Oh, just, sorry, just by the way, um, on Carl Walker, if Carl Walker was Brazilian, and for that matter, if Danny Rose was Brazilian, people would be going on about them. They would be like Cafu and Roberto Carlos a few years ago. Honestly, yeah. I, I, they would. They, 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 and I, I, I think they're that good. Yeah, I suppose it's this British media thing as well, isn't it? Because they're playing for Tottenham, the press don't want to talk them up too much. But God knows if they were in that bloody Liverpool team with Klopp, they'd be the best thing since sliced bread, wouldn't they? Mm. Yeah. Okay, back on back, back to through, back to Carol's question. Um, Carl has been my favourite player, she says, for a good few years. An unbelievable athlete, and I've always kept the faith. He is Spurs through and through and totally committed to us. Personally, I think he would make a fab captain. What thinks you? And then she just says, hashtag never been happy with Lloris in the role. Um, well, I, the, the thing that struck me most about that question is I think we've got a lot of potential leaders in that team now. Yeah. Um, the outstanding candidate would probably be Toby. I think he looks like he could be captain material. Um, again, in the midfield, Dyer, another potential candidate. But that's the good thing about winning teams, that they have this leadership all over the pitch. It's not just one player. Although I do tend to agree that I'm not entirely comfortable with the keeper being the captain. Yeah, I've never been happy with the keeper being the captain. Um, uh, my my personal choice would probably be Dyer, I think. I think he will be Spurs captain um, and probably England captain. Uh, in, in years to come um, I think a bit of both of your answers um, other than I'm quite happy for I've said it before on the pod I'm quite happy for Larice to be captain I've got no, no issues with goalkeepers I mean Dino's off as captain 
this Italy during the 82 World Cup, Casillas um, for Real Madrid more recently. Um, Lloris is a good club captain, certainly. Whether you want a goalkeeper to be a team captain is another matter. I can understand why people have reservations. Um, no issues about Carl Walker being skipper, but if I had to pick an outfield player, um, then, as you said, Sam, we've certainly got a number of leaders on the field, and Walker, I think, was captain for one match last season. I think a cup game. I think Rose did it as well. Um, you've obviously got Jan. You've got Harry Kane. Um, but if I had to pick one, I would probably go for Dyer as well. Although I do like Toby. While we're on the subject of not being comfortable with players being captains, I'm not a great fan of strikers being captains either, to be honest. Mm. I would always prefer a defender or a midfielder because I think they get a better view of the game as a whole. And would it have to be a central defender or would a fullback, somebody playing in a wider role? No, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be any one position in the back four, five or three, depending on what formation you're playing. Just a defender because I think a defender has got more chance of seeing what's going on down the other end of the pitch, particularly if you're a fullback actually, mm. because you get up and down the pitch more. Do you think just just on on the Harry Kane thing? Um, do you think Pochettino has cre- created a rod for his own back by making Harry Kane, rightly or wrongly? Um, if it's the right decision, and uh, that's fine. But ages ago, he made Kane captain um, when you know arguably there are other players, outfield players, better placed that could do that. Um, do you think he made a rod for his own back? Because now it seems that by default, whenever Lloris is injured, Kane assumes that role. And I just get the impression that's just because he was skipper before, previously, when, when Lloris um, was out for a few games, I think, in Pochettino's first season, towards the end of that season. Mm, yeah, I don't really know what to make of it. It's a funny one because Pochettino does do this thing sometimes where, particularly in cup games, where if he's resting traditional players that would get the armband, he kind of, what's that tradition? Say, Lloris is rested, let's say. He'll tend to, you know, he will give it to players you think, oh, really? Players that didn't necessarily see it coming. Which strikes me as a bit odd, but he's the manager. He knows far more than I do, so I'll go with it. If Poch thinks it's good, then I'm happy. I think there's probably a bit of experimenting still going on um, until he does sort of decide on who's going to be long-term captain or vice-captain. Okay. All right, final question on the podcast. Um, This is the one that we've been been doing now for a few weeks, um, and it's from... um, a friend of the show, ASD, um, his Twitter handle is at ASD the brand, and he asks, if every if every one Spurs player suddenly turned into a pet, what would they be and why? Um, if I come to Sam first. Um, the only one I could think of, really, was Toby. I could see him as being a cat, just because of that perfect hairdo. I think he's quite, he likes to preen about the place. I can imagine... <laughs> I can imagine he sort of takes great pride in his appearance and he sort of needs his ego puffed up every now and again. So that's all I've got, um, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm on my own here because I've mentioned it before and people have just looked at me blankly. But Ericsson always looks to me like a little mouse. Not in character, <laughs> but just his face. I, I can just imagine whiskers on his face. So he'd, he'd be my pet mouse. 
Um, and I think uh, Walker would be my pet lion. I know not many people have pet lions, but <laughs> I think he's a lion. Yeah. Well, if Mike Tyson can have a tiger, why not? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, on that note, um, so the next podcast we shall be recording a week today, Sunday evening, um, after Sunday match. Um, John, thank you for taking part. Thank you. A pleasure as always. Sam, thank you for making your debut. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. No worries. Um, and on that note, um, the future's bright, the future's lily white. Good night. in the dirt. Now gather round and sing it out and we'll talk out over her.